no love, no joy, no cross. Never let me go. Never let me go. Amen. I don't know about you, but this may, this may, this may fit into the TMI category. Too much information. Because I get home and Karen will let me know if it was TMI or not. <laughs> but for me, I must tell you, I can, so I can only speak for me, that of all the human biological functions, diarrhea, fever, shivers, hands down, the worst of all is vomiting, puking, barfing. Or as the people in the medical community call it, emesis. Do you remember when you had a tummy ache and you called out for your mother to help? Sure you do. I remember. Hear her, mommy, my tummy is hurting. Footsteps down the hallway to the kitchen. You hear a cupboard door open, slam shut. She's running back and she places right beside your head a Tupperware bowl. When mother puts the Tupperware bowl there, you know the awful drill. There's no getting out now. I don't know what there is about vomiting. When every single muscle in your upper torso synchronizes together autonomically in a desperate, simultaneous, subterranean chokehold. And I'm telling you when, you, when I'm vomiting, I think I'm dying. I am dying. I am dying. This is it. Don't you, do you feel that way too? Oh, whatever it is that is down there begins that hurried journey to the only exit it has. And those projectiles go everywhere over that bowl. Tupperware bowl, toilet bowl, it doesn't matter. It's bad. Can you believe it? This is really one of those believe it or not realities. In the last letter written by the last disciple for the last church on earth in the last book of the Bible, the Apocalypse, the last of seven letters, John Boy turned old man John, dictates, receives from Jesus a dictated letter to the last church on earth, and it has vomit embedded in it. Open your Bible with me, please, to that letter once again. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. If you weren't here last week, that's a critical piece. We can't make up for last week. It's just there online. Put the uh, website on the screen for you. If you go to our website, newperceptions.tv, you're looking for read it again for the first time. You click on there. You'll, you'll have that missing piece. You'll need it. But today, vomit, last letter for Adventists, Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14, I'm in the New King James Version, whatever you have, on this snowy, snowy day. By the way, a bunch of you at home right now, pull out your Bible as well. Don't skip that part. Pull your Bible out. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Red letters in my Bible, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the origin or the source of the creation of God. Verse 15, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you 
out of my mouth. There it is. Vomit. The Greek word is emesai. From whence comes that medical term, emesis. By the way, when he, when he speaks that word into this dictated letter in the later scenes, read it. Nobody, there's not a ripple in the congregation. Everybody gets it, immediately gets it. You know why? Because they're living in a city who, whose natural wonder is this waterfall over which the stream from Hierapolis, about six miles away, the hot springs of Hierapolis, the waters from those hot springs flow over that stream and plunge into Laodicea. Ever gone to uh, Yellowstone? Me too. You know one thing about hot springs. Bubbling, bubbling, bubbling to the surface. Two realities. Number one, the water is very hot. And number two, the smell of sulfur is very bad. It smells like rotten eggs. Guess what? Laodicea has no natural water supply. That is their drinking water. Once very hot, but now tepid, now sulfurous, and nauseatingly lukewarm. Lukewarm. So when the risen and ascended and for us soon coming Christ speaks the words, you're lukewarm, they get it immediately. Read them again. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. They got it loud and clear. Because you can't be red hot and ice cold at the same time, not physically, not morally, not spiritually. You can't serve as Jesus, the same Jesus, also in red letters in the Sermon on the Mount put it, no one, no man can serve two masters and neither can a woman. You'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. No man can serve God and mammon. You cannot do it because everybody is a slave to somebody. Every one of us is a slave. It's just that you can't be a slave to both. You can't be a slave to purity and impurity. You can't be a slave to honesty and dishonesty. You can't be a slave to Jesus and Satan. It's impossible. You cannot do it. The glaring problem with Laodicea, however, is that they're attempting to be a slave to both. Red hot with Jesus, ice cold with Satan. And their half and half attempt is nauseating to the Savior of the world. Vomit. We need to remember that there's not only Jesus in these seven letters. There's his nemesis, the enemy. And not surprisingly, if you take a look at the, um, the seven letters, and by the way, Ranko Stefanovic, I hope you read this week's lesson on the seven churches. <laughs> anyway, uh, here, here, here's a church in Smyrna, second letter. He cries out to them, hey, look out, guys. You must contend with, as he puts it, the synagogue of Satan. And to the church in Pergamum, Pergamum he warns, you are facing the throne of Satan. And to Thyatira, be careful, church. You are battling the deep things of Satan. Even to the good church in Philadelphia, brotherly love, Christ warns of attacks by the synagogue of Satan. And yet not a word, not a hint about Satan in the last letter at all. Sigfi Tonstad, the New Testament scholar from Loma Linda University, wrote a blog very recently. And thanks to my friend Melky Ponaya, I've read that blog. I want to put the words on the screen for you. Sigfi Tonstad, just as the believing communities, the seven churches, are commissioned to carry out heaven's business on earth, he calls them seven points of light in a dark world. I love that. 
Seven churches, seven points of light in a dark world. Just as they are called to carry out heaven's business on earth, the synagogue of Satan represents the opposing side in the cosmic conflict. Fiercely competing interests are in view. This cosmic and theological element has not received the attention it deserves in the messages to the seven communities. Awareness of conflict changes the way we construe victory and defeat. While Jesus makes promises, and every letter ends with this little formula, to everyone who conquers... Tonstad goes on, the tenor of conflict is better preserved if we translate it to everyone who overcomes in the war, end quote. What war are you talking about? I'm talking about the great war in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7, on the screen. What's Revelation talking about? And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And that great war in heaven spilled out to become the great war on earth. What's that all about? Look at the last verse of that same chapter. And the dragon was enraged with a woman. By the way, the woman is all seven churches, including Laodicea. The dragon was enraged with the woman, the seven churches, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. That would have to be the last church. And what is this last church like? These are they who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The last war. The great war. Or in nomenclature, you may be familiar with the great controversy between Christ and Satan. That's the war. And every one of these seven letters, including the letter to Laodicea, assumes you know the great war is in progress. Laodicea's desperate downfall, get this, is that she's trying to fight on both sides. Go figure. It is more than clear from the last letter that one of the enemy's most insidious and destructive tactics for the last generation on earth is the deadly temptation to compromise, to blend, to go half and half, half in, half out, half up, half down, half yes, half no, half for, half against, half hot, half cold, half heaven, half hell, half and half. With a generation of half and half, lukewarm, hot and cold, vomit, war. But whose side are we on? Good question. Apparently, Laodicea doesn't have a clue. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Do we? Come on. Do we? One of the challenges of stepping out of the confines of generalities when it comes to lifestyle and morality and spirituality, is risking coming across as condemning when you want to challenge the status quo. And by the way, in a highly convictional faith community like this one, most behavioral challenges are immediately dismissed as, ah, judgmental, holy moly, trying to be my conscience for me, don't need you, bye-bye. But it all depends, doesn't it, on the heart of the one who asks the questions. A few days ago, I received a letter from a young co-ed who was begging me, an email, to do something about what she perceives, along with her friends, she says, as an epidemic of pornography in this generation. I could feel her tears. In fact, she said... She described them, and I got it. 
And through those tears, I read her heart of deep concern for her peers. There was, I didn't sense any judgmentalness. I didn't sense harsh, a critical spirit in her. Because it all depends on the heart of the one who asks the questions and raises the concerns. And if I might share with you my own for the next few moments, I must be honest, as your pastor, and as one who has served the people of God all, all his life, deeply loves them, I fear that Laodicea, the last church, the last generation is being seduced by the enemy's neutralizing temptation to live a compromised life, half in, half out, half hot, half cold, half heaven, half hell. Because it's the pathology of compromise to lull us into a deadly lethargy that masquerades as neutrality but manifests itself in the ensuing death of the heart and the soul. Let me explain. Let me explain by asking a series of lifestyle questions that begin with the words, what's so wrong with, all right? What's so wrong with? With. I mean, after all, everybody's doing it, right? And what was once taught to us by this person whose spiritual gifts clearly evidenced her divine calling to bring the light of heaven into our lives and faith community. Look, we don't feel that way anymore. That was our great-grandparents' standard. It's not ours. So what's so wrong? Everybody's doing it. So why can't we? Well, first of all, let me disabuse you of the notion that everybody's doing it. They are not. They are not. That's a flimsy piece of logic that won't hold up trying to slip out of this. Now, let me go on. Go ahead and ask a few what's so wrong with it questions, if it's okay with you. What's so wrong with drinking coffee. It's kind of cool to have a Starbucks in your hand. It's kind of like the culture's supreme ID. And there's this fuzziness about caffeine and caffeine addiction. Nobody cares. So what's wrong with it? Oh, I know my grandma and grandpa. I know the stand they took. And I know my parents and the stand they took. But I'm me. What's so wrong with it? What's so wrong with sipping a little wine now and then? I know it has alcohol in it. You got a problem with alcohol or something? A little alcohol is good for the soul. What's so wrong for drinking that, whatever the that is? Yo, and Dwight, what's so wrong about overindulging appetite? I mean, come on, give me a break. You got, a woman has to have some sort of comfort. Eating when I don't need to be eaten. Eating what I don't need to be eaten. What's so wrong with that? And oh, by the way, what's so wrong with watching soft porn? So it's rated R. So there's nudity in it. This is entertainment, buddy. 
What are you thinking of? You got a problem with that? No. Are you serious? What's so wrong with hard porn? I only do it by myself. I'm not bugging anybody else. And by the way, if you're struggling with hard porn or if you'd like to help somebody who is struggling with hard porn, 4 o'clock this afternoon in Boulder Hall, Conquer Series. Listen up. Yo, Dwight, what's so, long, what's so wrong with gambling? I mean, I'm not spending my life saving just a little bit here and a little bit there, but just, hey, release. And while we're at it, talking about finances, what's so wrong with not tithing? Is that a big deal or something? I've worked hard for this money. This is my money. I'm good to God. He's good to go. You got a problem with that? And by the way, what's so wrong with becoming a fashionista and looking like Lady Gaga everywhere you, every time you step out of your room? What's so wrong with that? Huh? You got a problem with it? <laughs> and what's so wrong with dancing with the stars? I mean, they're stars. And they're all dancing. Yo! So what's so wrong? You, you got a problem with that? And so what's so wrong with copulating with your friends? That means having sex with your friends. She's okay. I'm okay. Aren't you okay? And what's so wrong with amusing ourselves to death? Being Netflix junkies. Please, you got a problem with that, boy? And what's so wrong, by the way, with my Sabbath days that are two hours long at the most? That's how long my Sabbath is. But he got it. You got to be thankful you got two hours of my busy life. Yeah, what's so wrong? I mean, can you believe that? Look what's happened to the Sabbath in the Laodicean community today. Here we are supposed to be telling the world about getting to know the Lord of the Sabbath. But for us, it's just another one in seven because we go out to eat and we fill up with gas and we play and we work and, hey, I gave you two hours. You want more than that? What's so wrong with video gaming through the long night? I'm, I'm working with somebody on the other side of the world, but I got to have this caffeine fixed just to keep awake to do what I got to do. What's so wrong with that? What's so wrong with a shop till you drop because I can't stop addiction and I keep just ordering and ordering and ordering? Please, you got a problem. You got to have a release. And what's so wrong with the Super Bowl coming up? Being a sports fan 24-7 for my hero, for my team. Go team! Yeah! What's so wrong with that? Well, you know what they do? They call you a fan in the sports world when you go overboard. But if you get excited about God and faith and eternity, the same world calls you a fanatic. Go figure. Guys, forget the list. Here's the concern. The pathology of compromise, listen please, is such that there are... That the, 
that one violation of the conscience, one seemingly insignificant disobedience to what I have known for a long time might be God's will for me, just one precipitates an eventual cascade of small disobedience until they end up in a total moral meltdown. That's what's wrong. Just ask Eve. Hey, Adam, stay right there. I'll be back. Don't you worry about me. I know my way around this garden. Just one. David. Yo, David, how do you like walking on the roof? I love walking on the roof. Ooh, wow. Just one leads to another and another. By the way, you can flip this coin over. You can be Daniel and his four buddies who when the word comes down, you will drink the king's wine and you will eat the king's rich fare. They say, no, we won't. If you pass a little test, you do a lot better when the tests get big. Fail the little tests. When the big test comes, adios. That's the deal. The point is not the specificity of the list. The point is the compromise that we have enculturated into our very DNA as a generation in the church. Ah. Verse 14, Revelation 3, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Listen, when you're in a war, compromise with the enemy is absolutely fatal. Do you ask that? Yeah, but are you sure it's the enemy? (laughs) Did you ask that of yourself or did someone else ask that for you? Are you sure it's the enemy? You already know. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. On the screen, let's read it. Do not love the world, this anti-kingdom force that is exclusively designed to destroy the kingdom on earth. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in her. Keep reading. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he, she who does the will of God abides forever. That's the deal. Jesus is coming soon. So whose side am I on? Yo, Dwight. Whose side are you on? Half cold and half off? Hot that you are? Paul had a dear friend named Demas who was one of his close disciples. Put it on the screen, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Adios, Señor Paul. I'm out of here. Can you believe that? Disciple of the greatest Christian after Christ, and the world took him. In 1903, that little American lady writer, Ellen White, penned these words in a letter referring to Laodicea. Put them on the screen, please. Half-hearted Christians are worse than infidels. For their deceptive words and noncommittal position lead many astray. 
At least the infidel shows his colors. The lukewarm Christian deceives both parties. He's neither a good worldling nor a good Christian. And Satan uses him. Satan uses her to do a work that no one else can do. What an honor. What a privilege. I'm talking to some of you who are a little bit older here than a college-age student. Because these college-age eyes, trust me, watch you like a hawk. They listen to everything you say in your classroom. They listen to every experience you relate. They hear, the, they hear what you didn't think they could hear. And they draw their cue from you. I'll do what he does. He's a hero of mine. I'll do what she does. She's a hero of mine. What matters to her matters to me. What doesn't matter to him doesn't matter to me. Half-hearted. You're not red hot. You're not ice cold. You're lukewarm. Man, this is pretty depressing stuff. This, this Laodicean penchant for lukewarm, half in and half out kind of living, isn't it? And it would be if it were not for the stunning portrayal of Jesus right here. And I hope you'll never forget the picture I want to share with you in closing. This is the picture of Jesus in the last letter. Watch this. He is the Lord who vomits. Now, he hasn't vomited yet. You notice that? He, has, he said, I, I will. He is the Lord who vomits. You think about it. Why does a person vomit? When you vomit, why are you vomiting? Because you're sick. You're nauseated. Something got into you that is churning you up inside. You feel so bad you can't keep it down. The vomit comes up. So what could be in the heart of Jesus when he is dictating this letter? It can't be some food he ate in heaven. So this is not a biological response. There is something deeply emotional that's happening. And guess what? Scientists now say, yep, that's exactly what happens. Because scientists now tell us we have two brains. Yep, we have this brain and we have this brain. This is called, the gut is called the second brain. The neurons, a thin sheath of neurons strapped across the stomach, connected instantly with a cognitive thinking process. I was over at Village Church for the 10 days of prayer. Saw some of you there. Bless you for coming out. Had a wonderful time. Anyway, Evelyn Kissinger, one of our own. They had a little health nugget every, every night, a little 15-minute whatever. I heard Evelyn Kissinger point out that this field of study called microbiome, studying the second brain, the microbiome, studying what's in the gut is a, is a, is a runaway new science. I went to the Harvard website, Harvard Health, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Harvard University, these words, you see it there. Have you ever had a gut-wrenching experience? We, we talk about gut-wrenching. What is that? It's deeply emotional, is it not? Have you ever had a gut-wrenching experience? Do certain situations, and they use the illustration just before a public presentation, make you feel nauseous? How many of us have been down that road? Oh, let me out of here. Keep reading. Have you ever felt butterflies in your stomach? We all have. We use these expressions for a reason. The gastrointestinal tract is sensitive to emotion, anger, anxiety, sadness, elation. All of these feelings and others can trigger symptoms in the gut, including vomiting. The last letter in it, Jesus' heart 
is being torn up to the place he is about to vomit. What's going on with him? Something intensely emotional. The only time I've seen Jesus like this before, besides the cross, is that day six days before his crucifixion in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem when he, when he pauses on the brow and stares upon the holy city. You remember that moment. Desire of Ages is the most, uh, with the most pathos, captures it. And I'm going to put Desire of Ages on the screen. Jesus gazes upon the scene. And the vast multitude hushed their shouts, spellbound by the sudden vision of beauty of the, of the temple. All eyes turn upon the Savior, and they're surprised and disappointed to see his eyes fill with tears and his body rock to and fro like a tree before the tempest, while a wail of anguish bursts from his quivering lips as if from the depths of a broken heart. What a sight was this for angels to behold, their loved commander in an agony of tears, tears and groans of insuppressible agony. What's going on? And here we thought that Jesus crude expression of vomit was simply his way of displaying his intense anger with Laodicea. Turns out it's not anger at all. Insuppressible agony. I feel like I might vomit. Have you ever known somebody who's cried so hard he vomited? She vomited? I have. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Laodicea, Laodicea. There's no anger. This is a heart broken. Because if you don't change, I've lost number seven. I died for you. But here you are drifting from me. What's going on here? Answer this question and you will immediately know. Here's the question. Why did the waters of Laodicea become lukewarm? You tell me. Why did the waters of Laodicea become lukewarm? Answer. They got too far from the source. And that's the point. The cure for half in and half out, half heaven and half hell, the cure is getting too far from the source. It'll kill you too far from the source. Half yes, half no. We just don't see it, do we? And yet, Every one of the seven letters ends, even as Laodicea does. Last line here, verse 22 of Revelation 3 on the screen. They who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what's the Spirit saying to Laodicea right now? Here it is. Why don't you let it go? I mean, come on. Why would you hang on to this? It really is such a little thing. If you're too proud to let it go, 
Is it worth it cascading into eventual moral collapse? Give me the little thing. Let me have it. I'm not taking this away from you because I'm a party pooper. I'm asking you to be all me. Hot. I need you to be hot. We're running out of time. I'm coming soon. Don't put off to tomorrow what has to be done. Right now. Decide. You don't need the choir singing. You don't need Dwight appealing to you. You have all that you need already in your mind. Act on what I've just told you. Let it go. Let it go.